is you have to have a system. And that's where I see a lot of businesses fall down. You know, they assign social to the intern or to the, you know, president's uh, niece, or and they have someone else do this and they silo this over here and this person's in charge of trade shows. And there's no coming together and there's no agreement at the beginning. Who is your most ideal client? Hello, and welcome to Brandtuned, the only podcast on branding that covers IP, which is intrinsic to business and brands. I'm Shireen Smith, lawyer, brand strategist, and curious business owner, keen to discover the secrets of effective brand building to create a successful business. My guest today is Priscilla McKinney, CEO of the Little Bird Marketing Agency. Welcome to the Brandtune podcast, Priscilla. Thanks so much, Shireen. I'm so excited to be on. Great. Tell us a bit more about what you do and how you come to be at this point in your journey. Wow. Well, <laughs> what I do right now is I manage a team of digital content and visual experts. And we create systems for predictable lead generation for companies. So, you know, companies and people who are really looking at their revenue and trying to figure out the big mystery in business, which is how do I manage growth? (laughs) And second to that is how do I get growth started? We basically create systems and then walk people through that. So that's what we do as a firm. And how I got started is incredibly convoluted, just like anybody else, I'm sure. Uh, You know, nobody has this straight path that they like to talk about in these business books, this meteoric rise to fame, or as I like to joke around, if I keep working at this another 10 years, I'll be an overnight success, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think I've always had a knack for connecting dots that other people don't see. And I think I've just played to that strength over and over again. And eventually it led me to what I think is my most natural place, which is uh, my degree in cultural anthropology and then my real love of the art of business, bringing those together and saying, how can we connect some dots that other people aren't seeing to build a business and basically understand how consumers and that is how humans actually interact with our message? Like, what does it look like in the real world? Let's not do this, you know. Um, out there fluffy marketing, but what what really is happening? Let's look at the data and also look at the authenticity of, you know, the consumer experience and let's make some decisions on that. So I think that's kind of how I came to lead a marketing team. And that's really, you know, my perspective as I go forward. When did you actually start your business? I just celebrated 11 years uh, at Little Bird Marketing. This is uh, right now, I, I uh, own and operate four different companies. This is my main squeeze, um, and some of them are related. I was in business for myself before that, and that business is still going, albeit I don't really you know, have to pay attention to it during the day-to-day. My day-to-day is absolutely little bird marketing. Um, but yeah, that's been going solid here for 11 years. Wow. So running four businesses must be quite a challenge. What are they briefly? Yeah, I have a credit card processing company and I really worked on that many years. And for people who understand that line of business, it's like a book of business. So that pays residuals. So I'm really not involved in that day to day. Uh, And then I have one that's called Skylark Advertising, which is a network 
of in business, like indoor digital billboards that are in a specific region around us. And mm-hmm. so that's a nice complement to what we do at Little Bird Marketing for local clients. And then the other one is, you know, Little Bird Marketing. But last year I acquired Clear Entertainment and Marketing Group, and I'm in the process of merging that one in. So really those people have become Little Bird Marketing and those clients are all being, you know, the, the whole M&A process is just winding up. Wow. So what was it like at the beginning? What sort of challenges did you have? Well, I think the biggest challenge is that I, you know, opened my my company in a smaller town here. And I distinctly recall um, that I was told outright that you cannot make money doing social media for companies. There's no money in that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we all remember that life, but, you know, it, it's crazy to think. I think, it, you know, what year was it that we got the iPhone? Was it 2005? Something like that. But it's hard to imagine life before that. And, you know, I got started really helping people do some of that scrappy bootstrapping stuff with what was new. Let's really look at, you know, at is social media. Let's look at some guerrilla, you know, marketing campaigns. Let's put some dots together that other people haven't done. Let's not just mimic our competitor. And so, you know, I think that environment where everybody was telling me I couldn't do it uh, was an interesting, you know, was an interesting um, challenge for me. And I even remember sitting at a lunch, you know, with a local TV uh, you know, general manager and him saying, well, if you're going to start an agency that, you know, that doesn't do TV and radio, you're just not going to make it. You can't make enough money. And it's just so funny because digital marketing is basically saying goodbye to a lot of those kind of, you know, interruptive, you know, tactics. And it's really trying to get in alignment with the client and say, let me be helpful, not interruptive. And, you know, things have just absolutely exploded. And, you know, the nice thing is that I'm the, on the right side of history with that. But, you know, I didn't know that at the time. I just really sensed it. So what services do you provide then? Our main IP that we created is a system called SOAR. And it is a content marketing system that is specifically designed to bring you inbound lead gen. And it is the SOAR is an acronym, you know, got to have one of those. Yeah. <laughs> but it is strategic organized, accountable, and repeatable. And this is what I find is so big about advertising, marketing, content, whatever you want to call it. I don't care what you do so much as you have to have a system. And that's where I see a lot of businesses fall down. You know, they assign social to the intern or to the, you know, president's uh, niece, or and they have someone else do this and they silo this over here and this person's in charge of trade shows. And there's no coming together and there's no agreement at the beginning who is your most ideal client? Not who you're necessarily working for right now, but what we're working for is to say, if we can get that strategy and all agree to it, we not only know what to do next and how to build the content out, but we also know what we can start saying no to. And we really deliver the power to our clients to begin to say no to other marketing ventures, other ways of spending their money, if it doesn't fit their strategy, if it can't be organized, and if we can't hold somebody accountable to getting it done. And so six months later, a year later, someone's like, oh, I have a bright idea. Okay, great. I'm all for bright ideas. Is it a part of the strategy? Can it be organized? And who are we going to hold accountable for? And if it doesn't fit those, we can go ahead and say no. 
What size businesses are they? I'm just thinking they're likely to already have a strategy of sorts or are they much smaller? You know, you'd be surprised. I work from clients all the way from 2 million to 50 million and you'd be surprised who in the middle there does not have a strategy. (laughs) And some of them have actually done persona work. But honestly, the reality is it's in the drawer or, or nobody knows where it is. And, you know, they keep writing content, but they don't really know who their audience is. And one of the other pieces to that is once clients kind of get a little bit bigger, they start getting in that two to 12 range. Of course, they have a lead marketing person and they're spending anywhere from, let's just say it could be all all across the the region. You know, you might be paying, you know, 60,000 to 100,000 for this marketing manager. Right. And of course, at a much higher level, you're paying much more. But let's just say your average company there who's like, hey, we're finally going to hire one person who's in charge of marketing. Well, that person in marketing many times comes to them and says, what do you want me to do? I'm happy to do it. They're very excited. They love marketing and they want to do something, but they don't come to the table with the strategy, with the system and know how to actually direct the company so they can execute but they're not quite sure what they're executing. And, you you know, we have a blend that's, you know, that's painting it all to one side. We have a blend of people, but when you hire one person, you're getting one skill. When you outsource that for the exact same price, you would pay one person and you get the strategy, you get, you know, the whole, you know, everything from us of, uh, you know, award-winning designers. We have, you know, social media experts. We have Google ad certified people on the team. You know, we have a web developer, you know, know, a photographer, a videographer. And so for that same price, you can actually outsource and get many more skill sets that you can't get with just one or two people in your department. Presumably you're reporting into somebody in the company. It wouldn't be the CEO. So who um, oversees and manages your work? Yeah, it's so funny. This kind of brings me back to my ideal client. I can't work with the owner. I can't work the founder. (laughs) If that person is the person who's going to be our liaison, we're kind of, it's not going to work because they really need to focus on the business. So yes, we do have to have some person who is the point contact, who is the liaison, but we do it on a transparent project management board where they can come to it when they need to. We work so far ahead that we don't have these pressing everyday calls and nobody comes in and says, what are we going to, you know, post to LinkedIn this morning? You know, we, we've thought about that six, eight months ago, and these things are happening for the ma- majority of content out there. It's evergreen. We know what we're going to be putting out six or eight months from now, and those things are already scheduled. They're already hashtagged. They're already researched. You know, they already have keywords involved, and we know where, where the call to action is. We know how we're trying to bring that ideal client through the buyer's journey. So once we get set up, you know, we really try and work with minimal interruption to the team. But yes, we do have to have a point of contact over at the, you know, other business. And depending on how large they are, how many, what the volume of deliverables we're doing each month, that person may need to have really a piece of their of their day carved out or a piece of their week really carved out for something in marketing to connect with us. So what's involved to set the strategy? How long does that take? I imagine it must be quite sort of involved. (laughs) Well, we usually take a a two to three day, depending on what the time, you know, how how much we can get the right people in the right room at the same time. But we've brought it down to our system. We have, um, we, we realize going into it, we don't know their business. 
and we're never going to know their business as well as they do. But what we do have is a real system that we put in an order where we can uh, effectively ask really strategic questions and get the answer from them. They don't. They come into that meeting. They're not even prepared. They they have all the genius in their brain. And even when we have multiple people in the room, they'll talk back and forth and fight for their idea. And it's so great for us. But we kind of are like the midwife in that situation. You know, we don't have to birth the baby. We got to be there to catch it. <laughs> so we're relying on their genius, and we're just basically taking all of these, you know, uh, very seemingly unrelated comments that the client makes, and then moving it over into our system that's very organized. So two to three days with them to go through the process. And then we kind of go away for about a week or two. And internally, we take all that information, codify them into personas, codify that into a hashtag report, codify that into keyword development, codify it into many slots like that. So we know that strategy going forward. Where's the opportunity where this company has an interesting and unique fit that we could actually amplify and, you know, and seize that opportunity for the company. Right. So what sort of branding will businesses like that have had? Won't they have had somebody working through the brand with them, helping them to understand their content strategy? How do you find that they are these businesses when you come across them? Yeah, honestly, it's not our ideal client. If they have a complete strategy you know, set up and, you know, their branding is on point and they're very happy with their content and it's producing leads. That's not an ideal client for us. So we're looking for the people who really have been focusing on growth and they've outgrown the, the marketing. And I like to put it this way. I selfishly am looking for clients who are delivering every day at an eight, nine, or 10. Like they're, they're knocking it out of the park. They're so in, intent on their business. They have good sales processes. They, they understand you know, their product. They're delivering on customer service, but their marketing still looks like a two, three, or four because they haven't gotten around to it. And so what we you know, see as ideal is for us to come in and say, look, I, I can't change what you do and how great you are, but if you are really that great, you have that eight, nine, or 10, all I have to do is bring your branding and marketing up to the eight, nine, and 10. I'm not trying to, if they're performing at an eight, I don't want to make their branding and marketing a 10 because we need to make it feel like them. It's not our job to come in and, you know, what I would call little birdify them. They're not little bird. We don't put our voice. We don't put our stuff on top of it. We just look at the company and say, how can we match your message to your brand promise and bring you up to the level at which you're performing? so that there's congruence in what people are experiencing and what people are feeling and how the, how the right people get attracted to them. So what sort of changes might you make to their existing branding? Well, you know, a lot of people, you know, we may come back and say, look, this, this, this you know, logo is not working or we need to expand the color scheme. Those are kind of some small tweaks we could make. On the other hand, one of the biggest changes is once people do the persona work and realize, oh my gosh, we have been spending so much marketing money kind of trying to get anyone that if you go to our website, there's no, there's no path to purchase. You know, people go there and we're not even clear about what we do. And then we don't really have something that we would want them to do next. So we may look at something like uh, you know, the difference between how many visitors come to their page versus how much time they spend on the page and say, oh, that would tell us that would be a clue to say 
there's something wrong on your web page. So, you know, do we need to rewrite this, this copy, you know, and basically weave in your magic and your marketing message in a way that makes sense to the most ideal client. And it weeds out the people who are not ideal. So it is about also saying no to some people. And so we, a lot of times, you know, where if we're not dealing with changing the brand, which we don't come in necessarily with the goal of changing brands, um, you know, we're there to consult, but a lot of times it does end up where we are changing copy or we're changing, you know, the user experience on the website to bring that kind of congruence together. What do you actually do for them? Do you create the content? Or do you ask them to create it for you? Yeah, there's a mix of deliverables. We set up all the strategy and then basically we have a, we go on with a marketing retainer. We require a year contract and we decide how much, you know, it's about their budget. Nobody has an unlimited budget. So what can they budget per month? And we take a look at that and we look at our, we start with the four pillars that is social media, blogging, email, and what I would call a lead magnet, or some people call a freemium or a valuable download, whatever it is, it's the kind of thing that is gated content where they're building their actual list. So they have to come up with something that is of undeniable value to their most ideal client and offer it to them with the exchange that that person would give up their anonymity. So those are the four pillars of really solid uh, inbound content marketing. So we start there. And we say, okay, well, how much can we get done with your budget? And yes, we set, let's say we set, we're going to do 12 blogs this year. We're going to do 12 emails. We're going to do 600 social media posts and we're going to create one lead magnet. You know, so we set those deliverables. We're not this fluffy marketing like, oh, we're on retainer and we'll just do things that you want us to do here and there. No, we set an entire year. You can see on our project management board, the entire year developed up of the content calendar and keep track of it from there. So yes, we create the strategy and the the structure for it, but then we come back around. We create the graphics, we put the hashtags, we schedule the social, we, you know, depending on what they're paying, we may even ghostwrite the blogs or we may interview their staff to write the blogs or they may have somebody on staff who's very strong and really wants to write the blogs. All those things are negotiated in what the cost is per month. We're really saying, how much of our time do you want? How much do you want us completing the entire process? And we're a HubSpot certified firm. And so typically we're working on HubSpot, which is a marketing automated automation software. And we're experts in that. And so we know how to make everything connect and how to build really strong reports that really give the owner and their you know, stakeholder team a view every month of what is going on. How are we progressing and can I see it in the data? Right. So I assume they're in pain when they come to you. Maybe they need more leads. They need more business. Right. Do you actually give them any promises? Or are they, do they generally expect to see some sort of return if they're subject to a one-year contract? Yeah, we don't, we don't give anything like that. And where we really kind of bring in the R, the repeatability, that really comes in year two because we need to set some benchmarks. We need to understand where they are before we can set some goals and have an actual uh, recalibration of what they're doing. And so we don't come in and say, you know, we'll do this and it'll bring this many leads. It, you know, I, I, I feel like that kind of stuff is, you know, just, first of all, a dime a dozen on the internet 
And also it really doesn't understand the nuance of business because if I were driven just to bring you so many leads, well, I'm going to bring you so many leads and I'll use a case in point. We just onboarded a client who had a firm and they were spending the same amount with this firm that they brought over to us. That firm was bringing them 30,000 hits to their website a month. Now that's a lot of hits. Mm. But when I dug into that data, when he was considering working with us, I dug in it and found that they were bringing people from, for example, a link that would be, oh, do you want to consolidate your debt and bringing them to a B2B function website where people would be buying very high priced market research uh, packages, you know, and, and consulting. And that makes no sense. So when people give guarantees, I really feel a lot of times they're looking for numbers that are a quantity and not a quality. So we don't come in and give those kinds of uh, guarantees, but our feet are held to the fire for the numbers. And we have very, very uh, high level conversations about where does this number need to go now that we know where we are. And month by month or quarter by quarter, however often they want to meet, we're really having a deep discussion about what that looks like and whether we're achieving those goals. So what was your own experience of creating your brand? Uh, Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so I actually bought the leasehold improvements from a gal who had started this marketing firm, but just really wasn't, you know, wanted to leave the area. It wasn't going super well. But she came to me and was like, Priscilla, you would be ideal for this. And in fact, I had been referring some clients to her for a while because I kept finding myself doing marketing, talking to people about marketing, giving them free consulting. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Why don't I refer them to her? At least I could get a cut of the business. Um, But I loved it. And I really had a knack for it. And she called it out. And she's like, you know, I'm thinking of leaving the area. I think you should take over my business. And I did. And it was her own business. It was her own name. And I really transformed it from a traditional local, regional, you know, uh, um, advertising agency truly to a digital content marketing agency. So I really changed the directory, but um, trajectory. But um, about uh, about uh, seven months into owning the business, we here in Joplin experienced uh, the only F5 tornado on record. And within about 20 minutes, we lost about 35% of our town. And in that time, it was obviously incredibly intense in business. And three weeks later, I stood at the sidewalk at looking at my creative studio and it was burning to the ground. And so in the middle of like a a trauma with like a, 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 you know, a joint trauma in our town, then I experienced my own three weeks later, but I found myself in the middle of people who truly understood what I was going through and knew uh, so many people of us at at that time were going to completely rebuild our businesses, literally rebuild our businesses from the ground up. And I took that opportunity to change the name, rebrand. And my idea was, I don't want to work for everybody. I wanted to have a small group of people that I could have really deep conversations with and they would be special because they would be in the know. And I would be special because I would be in the know about what's really going on below in their company. And this very small kind of circle and this this idea of very good news led me to name it Little Bird Marketing. And the idea is when you really are excited, you really have some good news to share, you usually say, a little birdie told me. Mm. And I liked this idea because what it connotes is that you're in the know, you're on the inside, you know, and that there's a community, there's a camaraderie in that. And I really wanted that to be the essence of our brand promise. 
So presumably you intend to exit the business if you're buying other businesses and merging them in. Yeah. Is that your ultimate game plan? Yeah, I, I think it's it would be, you know, there's too many businesses, I think, who work their whole lives and then, you know, they walk away and they don't get that kind of payout. So absolutely, you know, I, you know, I don't want to work forever. I do some other consulting. I teach um, people how to become, and I teach like whole sales teams, how to become influencers on LinkedIn and Twitter. And that's something that I can take and consult and obviously I can do some higher level strategy work as I exit, but I've got a lot of years here and I am mindful of that. And right now I'm absolutely building the leadership team and really trying to do as much as I can to pass my knowledge on and also to hire people who are smarter than I am and really, you know, celebrate that and say, what can you bring to the table? And if we, if we can find enough good stuff, let's make a bigger table. What can we do here? And really to be open about that. But we also serve a, a, a niche market. We happen to um, do more than 50% of our business in the market research industry. We really know those people and we're known by those people. And so right now my strategic hires are to, uh, to bring people in who already have deep knowledge of that industry so that we, you know, very quickly can get people, you know, they, they can learn our system, but they already know this industry and there's just a real rich value to that to our prospective clients. So have you registered Little Bird Marketing for, as a trademark? Yeah, you know, I have. And actually, it's so funny because I was looking at it the other day and we have to redo it because we completely rebranded again. And that's like the story of, you know, uh, 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 agency. We constantly, you know, rebrand. On the other side, there are agencies who really don't even do marketing for themselves. But when we started and created this IP that is SOAR, we were our first client. And it's kind of like, I'm very against the idea of the cobbler's kids who have no shoes. That's a refrain I use an awful lot. And I don't know that I would trust a marketing firm that doesn't deal with these same pains, the same frustrations, the same challenges, and for their own brand. I understand where my ideal client is sitting. I understand how hard those things can be. And I understand that so many people are throwing all these ideas at you and it's very hard to say no, what to say yes to and what to say no to. So I've been through that process and I constantly put myself through that process so that, you know, I, I can really be mindful of it, you know, going forward. Right. So you're going to register Little Bird Marketing and Saw as trademarks. Exactly. Yeah, we're yeah. in the process for the IP right now. Oh, great. Yeah, we just we just finished a new branding for SOAR about about four days ago. So um, we really wanted to lock that down. But we've been we've been doing it for years and perfecting it. But yeah, it's time to really own that system. And people license it when they you know come to us. There you know there's the onboarding fee that includes licensing SOAR because even say two or three years later, if they're not working with us, they still have that system intact and they still can use it to organize their own work. What, so your clients license it from you? Yeah, and I yeah. So buying that IP that's inherent in our first onboarding, and we teach them how to use it. But after that, they use you know they use it themselves. The interesting thing is we have clients that are now here. We are eleven years old. You know we have clients that have been with us eight, nine, ten years. So you know people find that you know at first some may come in and say, okay, you know do it for us for a year or two, and then we'll do it. And then they realize. No, why would we do this? You know, this is so much more efficient with experts handling it for us. And we also scale up with them. So they're not necessarily having to make those 
hard decision about, do I hire an ex-person? Do I not? They really only need that one and they can continue to scale their business and grow without having to really bring on more of that uh, overhead. And I think, you know, right now that's something that's, uh, you know, super desirable to people. You know, they don't want to have people on, you know, the payroll who aren't necessarily doing a full-time job or kind of, you know, getting up to speed. That's something that's, you know, really difficult right now during a global pandemic. We have to know that every, you know, seat on the bus is absolutely performing at the highest level possible. Right. So I maybe I missed what SOAR is. Are there deliverables that they can take away and continue using to help them in their content? It's an actual uh, uh, online uh, manageable system. So it, it completely shows, you know, it, let's say, for example, when someone says write a blog. Okay, well, you could you think that writing a blog is one action when in fact it's about 52 actions. And so the system is a checklist system of going, okay, do this first, do this next, okay, don't forget this, you know. And it's a system where then, yeah, once they've learned it and they've seen it in action, they can take that and then replicate it. So the ideal is uh, the idea is you just don't have to reinvent the wheel. Look at wheels. We made several wheels. Here they are. This is how to do it effectively. And so it's kind of that idea in so many marketing uh, uh, departments where people say, okay, we're going to do this new thing. Okay. We, you know, they learn what they missed after the fact, whereas we've already thought through those processes and, and we, we can, we have an entire list to make sure that we don't have something fall through the cracks. I see. So you, it's something you keep updated and they have access to an online resource, presumably. Exactly. And for exactly. That. Right. And we joke around and say that we're actually not a marketing agency, but a sleep improvement agency, because where people, you know, who are really involved in the revenue of a company are having a hard time sleeping on set on Sunday night. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Or, you know, in the middle of the night on Wednesday, it's just like, oh, where's that project? You know, we finally calm that down and, you know, really, you know, speak to the people who are in the hotspot for driving revenue in their companies to say, look, we've got this. This is if you want to know where it is, you can go look. And when someone says, oh, yeah, I'm almost done with that blog. Well, what does that mean? Do you have 40 steps left or do you have one? (laughs) Like, I want to really know what you mean. And so this kind of like you know, either working with a company through email, which is an absolute nightmare, (laughs) no communication like that is ever good for a team, Uh, you know, or if we're just trying to give an update to a client, we can give an update to a client, but they could also look on the board and just know exactly where any project is at at any given time. Wow, interesting. Okay, finally, what, which brand do you particularly admire, Priscilla, and why? Hmm. This is interesting. Well, I have to say the Roku uh, uh, brand is one that I absolutely uh, admire. And I can think back to really a user experience and customer experience. And now that UX and CX is really a hot topic, listen, Roku, you know, worked it out with an exchange with Netflix many years ago. And I remember just being in disbelief when they sold me the first Roku and they said, yeah, you'll get it in a box and you'll be setting up and streaming you know, streaming content within three minutes. I'm like, that is not going to happen. <laughs> and not only was the box and the user experience very cool and the instructions like a literal one, two, three, like not this thing that used to come when my parents would buy something that is a pamphlet about all the things that you need to do. Literally, you know, you hook this up, press this, 
go on your computer, arrange that. It was done. We were streaming content in three minutes. I, I couldn't even believe it. And this brand promise, I, I just remember that being a real inflection moment for me about what brands can do. And on the other side, I think one of the other brands I really admire is BT, um, a Viacom company, Black Entertainment Television. But I was recently talking with one of the head of, uh, of Insights, and they were talking about the money that they were putting through this last year. Uh, really researching and developing a great plan to serve their most ideal client and really help move the needle on a social program, which would help with the historical problem of Black males being disenfranchised from the voting process. And I thought to myself, I'm so excited by this, this conversation, but then I kind of took a step back and thought, this is a company. This is a, this is a, um, a you know a for profit company who is spending their profit to serve the client, and just being able to spend all that time. I mean, I thought about all the people that are on that team driving that kind of a social change. I just admire that so much, and that's not you know their that's not their primary mission, but they understand it that it is a part of their mission. I really respect that. So a purpose driven brand. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I have another friend who talks about it this way. He says, you know, he likes to work with companies that are impatient for change. Mm. And I really admire brands who are impatient for change and say, look, it's not going to be someone else. Why can't it be us? Great. Well, thank you very much indeed, Priscilla. Absolutely, Shireen. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. My guest next week is Monica Jansen, a copywriter, editor, and content strategist who helps small business to, need, um, to mid-sized companies create relevant content, get it in front of their target markets, and reach their business goals. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why not join my newsletter to receive fortnightly updates, giving more insights on aspects of brand creation and brand building. Just download my seven costly mistakes with your business and brand and you'll be added. Details are in the show notes.